0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Android Bytes. This is a special edition we're putting out in light of the Android 13 developer preview um, coming out last week, which we have installed on our phones. And um, we also have a repeat, but very special guest joining us who probably knows more about Android 13 APIs at this point than most Android developers on the planet, so that's good. And I'm also joined uh, by Michelle Rahman, and that aforementioned guest is Joao Diaz. Thank you again for joining us, Joao. Drows, the developer of Tasker. So yeah, let's let's get into it. You know, there's a lot to break down.
1: Yeah, so last week on Thursday, Google dropped a bombshell on everyone. They released out of nowhere Android 13 developer preview one when they haven't even finished releasing Android 12L yet. So we've been scrambling to piece together what's coming in the Android 13 update later this year. And we have a huge post that goes over most of the changes that we found is continuously being updated. But, you know, it's kind of hard for people to actually, you know, follow along with such a massive post. So we thought this episode might do a bit of good in breaking down some of the most important changes for you all. And that's why I invited Joao Diaz to join us because he, as a developer of Tasker, is on the bleeding edge of new Android features and APIs. And he's already demonstrated um, some of these new APIs in a video. He's already updated Tasker to support some of them, but because of Google Play restrictions, he's not able to upload that version yet. So you can't really test it yourself. But if you wanted to see them, he has a video that he's published on his YouTube channel that you can check out. So uh, Joao, why don't you give us a bit of introduction about yourself, just for those, who you, just for our listeners who aren't familiar with you or your work? Okay,
2: so and developed Tasker as you mentioned, and Tasker is is like Ma- making programming in Android simple. So if you want to do your own little app to do whatever specific needs you have for your Android device, you probably can do it with Tasker. So in this case, I simply uh, took the new APIs, created a bunch of new actions for them in Tasker, and that allows users and users to that use the Tasker app to use those APIs.
1: Awesome. And be- just because of how powerful and extensible Tasker is, it's probably one of the few apps that makes use of every single API under the sun that's available on Android. So if, if you wanted to play around with some Android feature, you could probably code a tasker profile and tasks to make use of it. Yeah. And that's exactly why Joao is like, you know, right up there immediately after DP one was released, he's already adding these features and experimenting with them.
2: So, um, I was just sorry right that, that it was re- released on a Friday and I didn't have time to do it on the Friday. So I have to. I have to wait the whole weekend to implement stuff.
1: So yeah, (laughs) well, I mean, you're several months ahead because, uh, Google doesn't plan to release until later this year. So you got a pretty big head start there already, Mm -hmm. but, uh, anyways, why don't we dive into what Google actually announced in the blog post? So if you're familiar with the way Google releases new Android updates is that they announce a few high level changes, but there's like. Only 40% of the change is actually mentioned in the blog post itself. The rest, you got to just dig into the API documentation. You got to install the update yourself and find out what, but you know, most people will probably have read the blog post and will be wondering, you know, what are these changes? Why are they important? So I think we should start there. So I guess let's start with one of the more significant user-facing changes, which is the new system photo picker in Android 13. So for a bit of background in previous releases of Android. In order to access the what's called external storage on Android devices, which is the data directories that are accessible to all applications and to the user whenever you plug in your phone into a PC, applications had to request a very broad permission that was called read external storage. And because so many applications were were asking for and being granted this permission, it became a privacy nightmare because applications could just read any file on your external storage even if they only had really need to access a few directories, such as your photos or your videos. So starting with Android 10, Google introduced um what they call scope storage, which is basically a project to restrict what directories and files applications have access to. And over over time, they've um been adjusting the permissions needed to access certain directories, the APIs that you can use to access some predetermined locations. And in Android 13, they're introducing something called a system photo picker, which is basically an application that has pre-granted access to the external storage. So instead of an application requesting media access on its own, applications can call this system photo picker, which will bring up a beautiful UI for users to pick one or more images. And then that will send those images or videos back to the application without that application needing any permissions at all to access those files. So it's a. It's a neat way to restrict basically what kind of permissions applications need to use in order to access basic functionality. So Joao, I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on the new system photo picker, was it difficult at all for you to implement it into Tasker? And, uh, you think this will be useful for users?
2: Uh, it wasn't difficult because it's, it's a very simple API. You simply have to build an intent, send that intent, and then you get back, you get uh, a result back. So it was not that difficult and yeah, I think it could be uh, very interesting for users because you get, you get specific, specifically just photos or videos. So there are many apps that use that instead of using general files. So if you're, if you want to, to make your photo picker the best it can, you can probably use this and Google will probably keep updating it to make it even better in the future. So just use this in your set. However, I, I, I also know that you, you could also previously select files from the, the inbuilt file system ticker, and that will allow you, that would allow you to select any file of any type using the same principle. You send an intent, you get a result back. I think that that Google created this just because it's specific for photos and videos and makes for a better user experience, but uh, you You could al- already do this before with the with the with a file browser, but it will allow you to pick any kind of file. so it would be wouldn't be a specific
0: so the API isn't just limited to to file type, is it? It can actually like essentially tell you the user tells the app which photos and videos specifically they want to share with that app, and those are the only ones it can see, right? I
2: I don't think so. I didn't see any, any kind of restriction. Yeah. You, you simply tell the system to, to, that you want to pick a file, pick a a photo or a video can restrict by, by type. You can say, I want photos and videos. You can say, I want to just want photos. I just want videos. And then the system will show that little dialogue and you can't control what it shows I think it will show anything that's on your system, but only photos and videos. Or previously you would see all of the files on your system and it would be be probably be less user friendly and i just get photos and videos so so just to
1: clarify in case that bit was a little confusing so previously on android there existed a system document picker which is called the files app the files app is normally hidden from users but there are ways to access it and that basically exposes all files and directories on the device and Previous versions of Android would let developers access the Files app to basically grant them access to specific files or directories. And what's different in Android 13 with a system photo picker is this photo picker is limited to just a media store for images and videos. So it won't let you access any arbitrary file or directory like the Files app could. It's a more uh, curated selection and it has a much prettier UI because the Files app has barely been updated in years. I think it was like introduced in Android 5.0 and until like Android 10 or 11, it had the same UI and it's still really old and outdated looking.
2: Yeah, And it had to support any kind of files. So it it, it had to be generic and not specifically for photos and videos. So it would be a bit weird. And correct me if I'm wrong again,
0: but in the past, a lot of OEMs have actually tried to create intents for their own gallery apps. To do this flow basically and i would guess that's part of google's motivation here is to discourage that by providing a consistent experience across all devices that's really easy to leverage
2: actually i don't have that that knowledge i didn't know that was the case but maybe yeah do you know i don't know if that is no
1: no, that is that is actually that is actually a really good point because the system gallery app will differ a lot on different devices so by introducing this new system photo figure experience which is contained within a mainline module that will be you know, introduced on yep. older devices as well. It'll be broadly accessible, the same photo-picking experience across all GMS Android devices. So you're, you're right, David, that it will introduce a bit of consistency for users and developers.
0: And one, one thing that's interesting for, for me about this feature perspective-wise is on iOS, Apple actually goes a step further, and I thought Google was actually taking this extra step. On iOS, what you can do is actually, when you say you want to share photos, for example, with Slack, you open up the gallery picker, and from there, iOS pops the dialogue and says, hey, you're already sharing some photos or media with this app, do you want to share more? And so it lets you actually curate which specific files you want to share with that app. I don't necessarily love the experience, But in terms of user data safeguarding, it's easy to see how that would have appeal to a company like Apple. So I was I was really just curious if Google seemed to be following their footsteps there, but it doesn't sound like they've gone that far yet.
1: Yeah, so this is definitely, you know, it's not a major addition to the platform, but it is something that we'll have to see how widely it's adopted by developers and if it'll actually be consistent across devices. Another addition to the Android 13 release that Google mentioned in the in their blog post is the new quick settings placement API. So for those of you who don't know, um, I think back in Android 7.0 and Nougat is when Google first opened up the quick settings API to third party developers, allowing them to create custom tiles. And since then, yeah, since then, basically it's been up to the user to actually pull down the status bar and manually add those quick settings tiles to their list. Which, um, as you can imagine, would lead to a lot of users never discovering that they can even do that. Because there's really no user education that tells them, hey, you can modify your quick settings tiles. You know, there's a button, there's a pencil icon on the status bar when you pull it down, but that icon might not be there on every device. It might be in different locations, it might have a different look because OEMs modify, you know, the look and feel of Android on their devices. So there's, that's a problem because a lot of times, you know, developers will have to come up with their own solution to educate users that they can add quick setting tiles to their list of quick settings. So in order to solve that problem, Google came up with a new API in Android 13 that basically lets developers show a dialogue and let users add their quick setting tile with just a single tap. So Joao, I, I saw that you implemented this already in your in development version of Tasker. What do you think of this new API?
2: Yeah, I think you're totally right. It was a, a bit of a nightmare to get users t- to add the correct tiles, uh, specifically, specifically in the case of Tasker where the tiles have to be generic because, uh, you can't specify dynamically at runtime what an unused tile shows in its uh, label. So for example, Tasker has three quick setting tiles built in, and they have to show generic uh, labels like uh, tile one, tile two, or something like that. Only when you, when the user actually adds the tile, then they can uh, see the correct tile uh, for how they configure it with Tasker. So with this, with this new API, it's much, much easier for the user to understand and to add the correct tile, because now they, you can show a pretty dialogue with the correct label, which can be dynamic right now. So now the user can very, very easily add the correct tile and not have any questions about it. I I can tell you how many times I've had users uh, ask me which tile they want, they had to use, they're confused because, because of the generic labels, they, they wouldn't figure out what they needed to add. So this makes it much easier. Yeah,
1: so this is just a no-brainer addition to the Android platform. Like, it would have been nice if it was there a few releases ago, but it, it totally makes sense for it to be there. There's nothing really much more to say about it. It's just good in every way. It sh- it's it's going to be a very welcome change to any developer that uses quick settings tiles, and I'm sure that its introduction will probably further encourage developers to add quick settings if they haven't already.
0: Which will further add, encourage Google and Android 14 to then add a way to stop apps doing that all the time. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to seeing how this rubber bands, because that quick settings area is very real estate limited. So I think users could really quickly get overwhelmed, but that said, I love QS tiles, so please yeah, give me more.
2: They actually already have a, a built-in in the API that if the app requests too many request the user to add too many times, they will stop asking the (laughs) user. (laughs) They actually say, if you do it a few times and don't specify how many times you do it. (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) Interesting.
1: And the next addition that Google mentioned in their blog post, I think is probably the one that users are most excited by. It's the themed icons API. It's this feature will allow app developers to specify an icon that can be dynamically themed based on material you dynamic colors. So for those of you who aren't familiar, Android 12 on pixel phones introduced dynamic coloring to as a, as an as an option. So whenever you change a wallpaper, the dynamic color engine will extract a dominant color and then using some, you know, dynamic coloring engine logic, it will come up with five different palettes. And it'll apply those colors across the system UI and any third-party apps that support pulling those colors. But there's also a themed icons feature in Android 12 that was labeled beta because it only applied to Google's own applications. And basically, that feature was inaccessible to third-party apps because the list of themable icons was hard-coded into the launcher. But in Android 13, Google was actually expanding this feature to third-party apps which means that any app developer that adds a monochromatic icon and updates their, you know, their launcher drawable XML and their adaptive icon XML will allow them to have their icons dynamically themed. Of course, you're going to have to wait for your favorite app to actually update with support for this. Otherwise you'll have a whole mismatch of apps that are dynamically themed and apps that aren't, which was the case on Android 12 on Pixel, but you know, Hopefully with this feature being opened up to more developers that you know they'll actually adopt it and you'll have a colorful, dynamically themed home screen like you've always been wanting. So, Joao, what do you think about this themed icons API feature? Was it easy for you to implement? Do you think this is something that a lot of developers are looking forward to adding to their own apps?
2: Yeah, just responding to your question to your question, yeah, it was pretty easy. Even with my lowly icon creating skills, I was able to quickly whip up a lightning ray, a lightning bolt uh, in in uh, SVG and then create the icon dynamically within the app. But basically you just need to add a, a small tag to the, to the file you mentioned before, and that's it, you don't need, you don't need to do anything else. And the, the nice part about it is you can add that tag n- into your existing app without even having to uh, use the new SDK. For example, I could release a new version of Tasker that within Android 13 would show the new icon, even if I don't use the new uh, Android 13 SDK. So anyone can use that and anyone can have access to the new icon on Android 13. So it's pretty cool.
0: I'll be very curious to see what adoption looks like on this. I know, Michelle, um you and Ron have been talking on Twitter about kind of the, the push and pull, which is a little beyond scope for the podcast here in terms of intellectual property and brands not wanting their icons to look certain colors arbitrarily, which I think we can understand on a basic level. But I'm also wondering if there's a another factor there, which are the OEMs. So if you have Samsung saying that they're going to support the themed icons, Well, Samsung has preload partners like Instagram, like Facebook, like Epic. It's possible that they could say, hey, you know, it would be really great for our partnership if you could look like a native application, you know, on our devices because we're using this theming. So I'll be watching quite curiously to see who adopts this and when, because I think it'll probably follow more along. My suspicion is it'll follow more of the OEM cadence cycle and less of the Android release cycle.
2: I would say that it's uh, any, any small developer can do this, like in 10 minutes, whip up a, a small icon in SVG and put it in the tag. So <laughs> there's no excuse for bigger developers to, to not do it. But yeah, maybe if there are other interests at sake, there can be a, they can maybe not do it, but it's very, very easy to do
1: yeah so there's definitely no technical barrier that's preventing most companies or independent developers from doing this. It's just going to be a matter of you know will their branding departments allow them to support this will they will they clear it within their companies and that's something that's really hard to answer. It's going to be uh, dependent on the company. There are other features that aren't really you know so mired in politics. One of the features that I think any multilingual user will greatly appreciate is the new fe- is the new introduction of Per app language support in Android 13. So, for the longest time, if you were a multilingual user and you wanted to have your overall language, one language, such English, and you wanted to have a specific app being Spanish, for example, you'd have to hope that that application had its own language preference solution for you to choose to change language to Spanish. Because otherwise, you'd have to force everything to be a single language. And uh, that's obviously not ideal for anyone who's, you know, living in abroad in a separate country and they want to have, you know, most of their applications be the natively supported language that was the app was designed for. And then the rest of their system language and applications in another language. So Android 13 finally solves this by letting users pick the language on a per app basis. And I'm curious to know, Joao, has per app language been something a lot of users have been requesting on your end? Do you think it's something that's been difficult for developers to add on their own and do you think this will actually, you know, greatly increase adoption of this feature?
2: I don't know about greatly increasing because the the API doesn't do much by itself. It simply allows you to select a, a language outside of the app and then the app will have to conform by that language. But you have to, you actually have to do all the work of translating every string and putting in the app. So tasker already supports multiple languages and yeah, I'll, I'll be adding this. I didn't have time to do it yet, but it won't be much different as before. If you didn't have the, the, the time or resources to do app translation before you won't, you won't you won't have an easier time because of this API. It's just a, an easier way of users, an easier and standard way of users selecting your app's language. From the android system but basically everything else stays the same
0: I, i'm curious from a technical perspective how this gets into bundle or split apks because one of the huge features of bundle apks was the ability to just put the user's language pack in the bundle that the play store compiles so that they don't have all of those extra language bundles so if a user Has a smartphone set to English and they download an app and the app downloads in English with the English language file. And then they decide to go in on the phone and switch that app's default language to French, for example. Would the app have to architect how to download that language pack, or is this workable such that it can, you know, basically pull an app update from the Play Store compiled with the French language
2: package and then update it? That's a good question. I actually don't know. I I have never tried that before, so maybe Michelle knows. I think I read
1: that there's a manifest entry that apps can add that basically lists the supported languages. And if say, you know, that language is on that list then possibly when the user picks it and choose and decides to switch to it, the Play Store will automatically in the background, then download that split containing that language pack. That's possibly how it might work, but you know, it's still early days. I don't think anyone's actually bothered to actually look into this that much. Speaking of which oh, the feature's know, not even the story not enabled. Team. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, the feature the feature's <laughs> not even enabled by default in DP one. Even though Google announced it in a blog post, you have to dive into feature flags and enable it manually, which is surprising because feature flags are inaccessible unless you have a user debug or engineering build.
0: But I do know that multilingual has been a really high priority for Google for a long time, and that was a huge thing behind splits. Was there were two things they were dealing with there users who really like who got really upset if they downloaded an app and there wasn't language support in the app for for that app and they then uninstall it and then the other side was well a bunch of developers then decided okay i need to put in every language pack imaginable so that users don't do this and it increased the size of the apks immensely and so that was a huge logic behind splits was that for countries where internet connectivity was poor you would only download the correct language or the applicable language file for the user and reduce the overall file size. And that was, as I understood it, like the the real logic behind splits was just reducing APK size. That was what they were really obsessed with. So it's interesting to see this language feature, which almost certainly is going to have to integrate with this because I know, for example, Facebook heavily leverages splits. So I'm sure that they will be looking at this very closely and I'll, I'll be curious what their solution looks like.
1: Right. And There are definitely other changes that big companies like Facebook and other social media companies will be taking a look at. This one hasn't been documented by Google in their blog posts, but if you delve into the build itself and you look at the API documentation, you'll notice that Google added a runtime permission for notifications. And this is something we've talked about previously on the podcast. And I know it's something a lot of developers are really hoping is not implemented just because it's. Notifications is a feature that you kind of expect to have by default, so to suddenly have that be restricted and become opt-in is going to be a huge shocker for many that depend on posting notifications to re-engage users with their applications or to inform them of critical events. And it's definitely something we're probably going to see a lot of support tickets being raised. You know, why am I not getting alerts for something I signed up for in my application or why is this not working? So Joao, I'm curious to know what do you think of this new runtime permission for notifications?
2: Uh, yeah, as I mentioned last week, I think it's a bit unnecessary because users already have the ability to to um, turn off notifications. I understand that that it's opt in now instead of opt out, and that can be better for some users. But again, you can simply long click a notification and disable it. So I don't see any much of the advantage. Regarding this, especially when there are other permissions that would be much better uh, served to have uh, runtime permissions for, for example, clipboard access would be much more important to have access instead of this. But uh, for, for Tasker and for my apps, it won't be much of a hassle. There will simply be another new uh, permission prompt that will show up every time a user wants to to post a permission uh, a notification, sorry, and and it will be that. I don't think. There'll be much uh, trouble implementing this in, in my app, but I think it's, it's a bit unnecessary that <laughs> they could spend their time doing something else.
1: Yeah. This is going to definitely be controversial among developers once it's actually announced at this moment. It's just something we kind of know because we've been expecting it. And we have looked around the firmware and the API documentation, but we're curious to see how the general public will react to it once Google makes it official. Another change permission-related change that is actually very welcome, in my opinion, is the new nearby device permission for Wi-Fi. So for those of you who aren't familiar, I think starting with the Android 8.0 Oreo release, Google the APIs for Wi-Fi scanning and Bluetooth scanning to location permissions. So you wouldn't be able to access Wi-Fi scan or Bluetooth scan results unless your device also held a related location permission. And the reason is that because Wi Fi scan results and Bluetooth scan results can be used to infer the device's location. So, if an app were to continuously monitor what Wi Fi access points or nearby Bluetooth devices the uh, device is pinging, then you could probably figure out where, what general area the device is located. So, that's the reason why Google introduced or rather tied those APIs to location access. But as we find out last, the last two years with COVID 19 and those, COVID-19 tracking apps, the thing about that is whenever you have apps that only need to scan Bluetooth devices nearby asking for location access, that's going to get people suspicious. Why is this app asking for my location? Is it tracking me? When no, really, it's not tracking. It was just looking for nearby Bluetooth devices because it needs to do that. So in Android 12, Google decoupled the Bluetooth scan results API from the location permission. And in Android 13, they're doing something very similar with the Wi-Fi scan results API and if you ever set up any nearby IOT devices using Bluetooth or Wi-Fi you probably have come across the location prompts starting on Android 13 that prompt will probably disappear when you're connecting to a nearby device which I think will probably reduce a lot of confusion among users so Choao I'm curious to hear from you have you ever had a lot of any complaints from users who are wondering why you know, your app needs location access when it's scanning for Bluetooth or Wi-Fi devices. Have you ever received any angry complaints about that or just general confusion?
2: Yeah, totally. This is a very, very welcome addition. Users often often email me about, they only have like profiles that do stuff when they're connected to a certain Wi-Fi network. And then they, they're very confused and ask me why the tasker is, ac- is constantly access- accessing the location on their phone. And I have to explain them. I, I do explain it in the app, but users often forget that that's the case. That the location permission is needed for Wi-Fi access, so they end up a- email me, emailing me angry, angrily about it, and <laughs> I often have to to remind them that a the wife that the location permission is is needed for that. And I, I've I've always uh, defended that. Google should have something in in the system to explain to users why the location permission is needed for Wi-Fi and Bluetooth access. Otherwise, every single developer on in in the App Store will need to explain why that is, and it'll be overbearing for users. Users don't even probably don't even read all of those explanations anymore because every single app needs to do it. If Google simply explained why, why the location permission is needed in that, in those situations themselves, then uh, this probably wouldn't be such, a, such of an issue. But now with this new, these new permissions, it'll be much better because there'll be no confusion anymore. And so this is <laughs> very late to the party, but uh, a very welcome addition.
1: Absolutely. And uh, speaking of very late to the party, but very welcome. Android is finally making a whole bunch of tablet related changes because Google believes tablets are the future of computing, if you haven't heard. Welcome to 2013, <laughs> Google. <laughs> so uh, with tablets being a renewed focus for Google, you know, in Android 12, they deferred a lot of tablet-related changes with to the Android 12 L release, the L presumably standing for large-screen devices. And uh, because Google's work is never-ending on Android, Android 13 continues the large-screen development efforts and is introducing additional changes under the hood. So the taskbar, as we've seen, is getting an additional icon space, but there may be other changes down the road. But under the hood, if you examine the code base, there are some interesting changes coming along to the screensaver experience, which suggests that dock tablets could be getting some love in Android 13. Screensavers may be getting complication support, which allows specific like widget type features being overlaid on top of a screensaver. There's also a hint about a hub mode that would allow users to share applications between profiles whenever you're connected to a trusted network. Um, Details on these two features are sparse because Google hasn't documented them yet, but they are accessible and available to analyze in the firmware release. There are a whole bunch of other under the hood changes as well related to the user switcher experience, for example, they're adding a profile switcher on the key card, which is basically the lock screen pin password entry point, they're enabling rotation on the lock screen for large screen devices. And there's just a whole bunch of other related changes that seem to be coming for large screen devices. So it looks like if you thought 12L was the end all be all of big tablet related updates, it's not, they're continuing their work and enter 13 is building upon that and will introduce even more features. So Joao. I know Tasker is not really, you know, form factor specific and you could easily run it on tablets as well and foldables as well, because it's basically just automating things in the background. But what do you think about, you know, the tablet experience? Like, do you think it's going, it's getting better? Do you think there's actually going to be significant, um, demand for developers to actually invest in developing tablet specific apps? What do you think about the future of tablets?
2: Well, uh- Samsung just, just announced their new tablets, right? And they're, they look very, very nice. So hopefully Google can follow suit and do something on their own. They already did the, the Nexus 9 and Nexus 7 before, and those were pretty cool. I had the Nexus 7 myself. I really liked it. So hopefully we can bring that back as well. You talked about the, the new screensaver features, and I was really interested in the complications for it, which uh, in case you don't know. Our users, our listeners don't know a complication, for example, already exists in Android Wear on your watch, which is a little icon that's overlaid on top of the the watch faces and each watch face can have any number of complications. And so for example, you can, you, there's a, a plugin for Tasker called AutoWear that can use those complications to perform stuff in Tasker. And I use that every day. Actually, it's very useful. And so having that in the screensaver, where Tasker already can, uh, Tasker already has scenes which are basically UI that you can create within Tasker to to do your own UI related stuff. And if you can probably use that in complications on on a screensaver, that'll be pretty cool. So for example, you could have your tablet standing by by your side, and you could have a, a home automation the UI that you. That you created yourself in Tasker and have that on your screensaver or anything else you might imagine. So I I think that part is pretty cool. Hopefully Google will will invest in that in the future.
0: It's interesting to see them moving this way too, because in a lot of ways, this this feels like Honeycomb. Because Honeycomb did have a fairly rich lock screen experience, right? So if you go back, I'm going to dig deep in the hardware bucket here. If either of you remember the Sony Tablet S. It was the one that had a big rounded like edge on it. So it was kind of like holding a book. It was a very, very Sony design, but they had a dock for it. And so you could plug it into the dock and it would sit there and display a bunch of passive information on the lock screen. Or I think you could make it a digital photo frame, too. So I, I do think my my instinct here is that what Google sees is the dock opportunity based on other things that we've seen in the A13 release at this point is that there's going to be a renewed focus on how do you make a tablet do something when it's not actively being interacted with which is something that android never focused on past like there was never really any focus there so i am really curious because i do think that there's another opportunity for google there and this is a little bit a little bit beyond android itself i guess but if you look at the Home or the Nest Hub or Nest Hub Max smart displays and what they can do compared to a smartphone their, their chipsets are hilariously weak, they're very slow, but they can do a surprisingly high number a surprisingly large number of things. And so I'm wondering if this is really a play for Google to start plugging in big parts of the Google Home platform experience there and help users like Michelle said and like Charles said, you know, develop these smart home hubs because they've already done it. It already exists on a device. So if you can build that experience into a lock screen on a tablet that you can just pull out of its dock, if you don't want to use it that way anymore, that would be super cool.
2: Yeah, that would be awesome. Like converting a a tablet into a a Google Home Nest Hub. And when you're not using it and then you can use it normally afterwards, that would be very, very cool.
0: Right. Because how many times have you looked at a Nest Hub and wanted to go up and walk up and just rip the tablet off of it?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Samsung actually recently launched the home hub, which I think that's the name of the product. It is literally an Android tablet that is designed to basically control all your smart things devices. So it's exactly what you've been mentioning, David. And I think that is the model of what Google may be trying to do with these tablet and hub related changes in Android 13. Basically emulate that, but you know, for the Google home ecosystem.
0: I didn't even know Samsung had launched this thing. I totally missed it during CES. Yeah, because this this looks exactly like that. That that's clearly what they're going after.
1: Yeah. So it is. Of... Sorry. Now go ahead.
2: Uh, I I was just saying that Google also has a history of of looking at what Samsung is doing and implementing that in their next Android versions. So this could be also be a, an instance of that.
1: Yeah. So speaking of next Android versions, this is. Last Thursday was just the first developer preview release. There's still going to be an additional developer preview in March, followed by four beta releases before the final release sometime in Q3. So there's still quite a bit left to uncover and for Google to document. And today's show is already running a bit long, but we haven't even covered most of what I, what I discovered after digging through the DP one release. And there's still a whole lot left for us to, you know, for for us to actually talk about if we had more time, but if you're interested in, you know, learning about everything new in Android 13 so far, I encourage you to go to the Esper blog and look at my Android 13 deep dive article, because I'll be continuously updating that in the coming weeks with as many changes as I can find, and it'll be the one-stop shop to learn everything that's new in Android 13
0: yeah, and I think we'll we'll continue as needed, especially if, you know if Michelle covers anything, uncovers anything really important, you know, we'll continue to to do these breakout episodes about a thirteen because we're going to be here for the next six months waiting for this, if not slightly more, for this to come out. I'm sure the official release will drop in August as Google plans, but we won't see it on devices until probably Pixel. Last year, they were a little slower. But anyway, Android 13 like Michelle said you can go to our blog he has a great deep dive article there that like Michelle said has been continuously updated we're also doing some breakout posts on Android 13 so some stuff about mobile drivers licenses we have up google's going to start requiring those for partners essentially in the form of a chipset requirement. So again, read the article because there's a lot of nuance to it. The same with a uh, require or open sourcing certain parts of the fast pair framework in Android. There's a lot of nuance there. It's not just that everybody's gonna be able to do fast pair tomorrow. Google probably has some specific motivations. So if you want insights like those into not just what changes Google is making, but probably also why and how they might be leveraged, definitely check out the Esper blog, blog blog.esper.io. And thank you again to João Adias of Tasker for joining us. He is one of the great Android developers. And, you know, again, one of the few people probably really thinking very hard
2: about Android 13 as a developer right now. Thank you very much for having me again. It was a real pleasure. Thank you.
0: All right, we'll catch you next week, everyone. And thank you for listening to this very special bonus episode of Android Bytes. Bye-bye.